And he was like, remember, you said to me that you wanted to be a millionaire. Well, if you want to become a millionaire, you need to be able to make money in your sleep. Use your business to find a way to do it. Then what emerged and exploded out of COVID was EdTech. EdTech was the way, the vehicle to allow me to make money in my sleep. If people are buying courses off me, I'm no longer having to sit in front of them and tutor them. So I'm not trading my time for money. I can now create a platform. And that's what I did. Welcome to the Valuable Podcast, where there is value in every conversation. I'm your host, Victor Sasanya, and today I am joined by Alicia Masson, founder and CEO of EdTech platform Economize. In this episode, we discuss Alicia's experience of being diagnosed with dyslexia and how she used this as a superpower, thriving in entrepreneurship, business, and her career. First things first, shout out Zencaster, who is the sponsor of this episode and season two of the Valuable Podcast. Zencaster is an all-in-one podcasting platform, which I've personally used from day one to record my podcast. So there's no lies told. I know this platform. I record both quality audio and HD video online using Zencaster. So if you want to start a podcast, then you can too with 30% off your first three months. So go to Z en.ai forward slash valuable one and use my promo code valuable one alternatively just click the link in the description below then apply the code valuable one Zencaster has over 10,000 podcasters like myself in the creator network and they're successfully matching brands and companies with podcasters every day so even if you're a brand interested in sponsoring this show or running a podcast as to grow your business go to zen.ai forward slash valuable pod one and fill out the contact information so Zencaster can help you bring your business dreams to life without further ado let's get straight into this episode I feel like you just want to dive straight into it as a economy. Like, what is going on in the economy? Um, so background information, if you guys didn't know. So I just graduated studying economics um, at the University of Warwick. Um, so I'm trying to still not lose what I've just learned and, and apply it to our current day situation with the economy, with inflation is soaring. You know, rumors were going to enter into recession and Alicia can we can discuss this with me as an economics graduate. So do you have any comments you want to share? I think it's actually, yeah, it's soaring out of control, to be honest. I've seen some reports saying that they're anticipating about 11 to 12% by the end of this year, a recession um, is very much looming. So yeah, it's not, it's not looking good. <laughs> <laughs> and, and let's break it down, right? I feel like we're going to do an educational piece right here for the for the audience that don't know, haven't studied economics, don't know what recession, don't know what inflation is. So um, and I, I'm kind of putting you on the spot here, but as we'll get into as the founder of Economines, I hope that you can break down some <laughs> some information in, in digestible sort of sort. So let's start off with what what is economics? What does economics mean? So economics is essentially the study of how to put together unlimited wants with limit, sorry, yeah, unlimited wants with limited needs. So, I mean, limited resources. So how do we basically ration the scarce resources that exist in our economy? So you've got microeconomics and macroeconomics. So microeconomics is focusing more on businesses and how individuals interact with one another, whereas macroeconomics is more of that how large economies are interacting with one another or how, you know, aggregate, aggregated amounts of companies and 
industries are interacting with one another to co- to to um to affect our one singular economy and then obviously how that can affect um, our world economies it's well. very complex <laughs> so like what, what would you describe um inflation as because i think that's the major topic that anyone's seeing when they switch on their tv or read you know the news yeah definitely so inflation is just when you've got an, there's an increase in the cost of living so you have something called a cpi index which is your consumer price index and essentially that values the average uh, cost of a basket of goods. So year on year, they measure how much the average basket of goods costs. And they've seen basically what this 9% or 11% inflation rate means is that last year, goods were 9% cheaper or vice versa. This year, that average basket of goods is 9% more expensive um, and then when we were talking about 11%, it, they're saying that by the end of this year, that same basket of goods from that time last year is now going to be 11% more expensive. Wow. So what does that mean for us? We need to save our coins. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, to be honest with you, it's not even about saving. It's I'd probably say that it's more about trying to generate more streams of income because if wages are stagnant, how much can you actually save if you're average cost of your goods are going up so let's just say you're making a thousand pound a month and it costs you 300 pound to live if it now is costing you i don't know 350 340 pounds um to live then it's not really about saving money i think it's more about trying to make more money because that wage is mm. still going to stay the same so saving in a situation when inflation is soaring out of the roof i don't really think it's probably the best idea i think it's more about how can you tack on extra streams of income or how can you try and squeeze a pay rise out of whatever job you're doing right now? Wow. See, I should see you on my BBC News when I switch it on. (laughs) (laughs) That is direct advice. You heard her. We need to make more streams of income. But no, even when you're talking, it sounds already like you're talking from an entrepreneurial sort of mindset and you're not following the traditional sort of route. Okay, everything's more costly I can't afford to spend so much so I'm going to save and spend less but you're like no hold on a minute you need to make more streams of income and bring in more money so you can afford the increase in cost of life in general so like um let's just take it all the way back like um before you became an economics graduate and before you came so knowledgeable on sort of these topics like when you were young what was it that you wanted to be that um sort of dream job or dream career it's funny because I I didn't I don't really think I ever had a kind of j- dream job in that sense um when I was younger. I think I kind of went through school thinking I have no idea. Went to a top kind of grammar school and everybody around me wanted to be a solicitor or a doctor and I thought I have no idea. So I just just to get everybody off my back just used to say any old job but I actually had no idea what I wanted to do so I've gone through the motions of a plastic surgeon an optometrist um wow. yeah just really random jobs um sorry what was sorry I can't even skip that what was the last one <laughs> <laughs> an optometrist so like an eye doctor um okay. I wanted to do that um yeah I think it was more kind of science-based I think I always kind of saw myself in forensic scientist was another one um yeah. and then when I was studying my A-levels I thought I wanted to work for CERN so do you know the big hadron collider in uh Switzerland so studying kind of quantum mechanics physics well wow. 
And then, yeah, I was but, like... Uh, these professions, though, they're quite they're quite specific. I don't think you just... Because I, I, I don't know the name of some of them. So surely, I mean, you mentioned that you went to grammar school. So mm-hmm. uh, was that, did you have to like do a test to come to grammar school? So? Yeah, so it was an entrance test when I was 11 years old. Um, and it was testing you on like maths, English, nonverbal reasoning, like yeah. spellings, comprehension, like the whole lot. And... Yeah, so you do that, and then I ranked in the top because our school only took in ninety six students, so it was one of the most selective grammar schools. Wow! And yeah, so I ranked out of I think there was about six hundred people that did that exam in the top ninety six. Yeah. And I did. Yeah. You know, I was smiling so much. I was one of them. <laughs> <laughs> um, the eleven plus. I promise you, I didn't rank it. I ranked in the bottom percent. I was because. I didn't get into grammar school, but we're, we're here now. But congratulations. I think like, you know, anyone from sort of a young age, I like to sort of take about to your, to your sort of childhood. And I can see for you, I mean, you, you probably studied really hard for those exams to come in um, at, at such a high position and going to grammar school. Um, what was the, the learning experience like? It was interesting, the learning experience I had, because it definitely was around some fantastic minds. And I think definitely when you're at that age, that very young age, you're shaped very much by your environment. And to be around a lot of people that just really wanted to do well all of the time, I think was definitely crucial in, in creating the right mindset, I guess. I would say... Yeah, I'd say that that was important. Teachers were good, but then you also had some bad teachers that were really kind of knowing that students would definitely take on a lot more in, you know, in their stride than other students at other kind of, say, comparable, just normal comprehensive schools and left students to to learn independently quite often. So I'd always say that my learning experience, I was lectured as if I went to university from year seven, like you know two three pieces of homework every single day so it was yeah there was a lot to be honest with you but yeah I guess it was useful in terms of creating a work ethic but yeah I wasn't always the most studious individual when I was at school though um despite the environment but I do definitely say if I wasn't in that environment (laughs) <laughs> I don't know what else I would have been doing. <laughs> yeah, no, no. It, it, it actually makes you think. And I was discussing this on a different podcast and we're reading also talking about our upbringing and sort of schooling. And I, I was literally telling him that if I wasn't like, if, if I wasn't in school, even though I, I didn't go grammar school, but nevertheless, like um, I, I, I moved from my secondary school to a different sixth form. I felt like that sixth form gave me good grounding and A-levels to even go to university in the first place. And you just think, if you didn't take this option, where would you be like as of today? And I think for you, it's even interesting because, um, you know, you your learning experience, or shall I say style is different from most because um, you, you say that you're diagnosed with dyslexia. So... When did you find out like that so, you had this? Yeah, so I was just I was diagnosed with dyslexia at 21. So I'd gone through all of school and basically finished my degree. Um wow. diagnosis, but I think I always knew um I was different and the way my brain worked was very different cuz kind of throwing back to the 11 plus um kind of situation there was like spellings and like definitions that you had to kind of do and learn. And me and my cousin at the time were, you know, similar age and we were studying basically together when we were doing it. And 
yeah, I remember we used to sit next to each other when we went um, to our kind of tutoring lessons and that was like homework and you have to have like spelling tests. And I just used to copy all of his because I just couldn't like, <laughs> like learn these spellings, but it just wouldn't work. And I just thought, well, I'm just going to copy his spellings. And there was me thinking I'm doing it on purpose, making a few mistakes. It wasn't, I just couldn't <laughs> grasp some of them. And then one lesson, we got split apart because there wasn't enough space for us to sit next to each other. And I got zero in my spellings. And my parents were like, how did you get zero? Like, you've been getting like, you know, 17, 16 in your kind of spellings out of 20. How have you managed to get zero? And they just thought like I was messing around or something. But I just, yeah, I, <laughs> I just, I, spelling just wasn't for me. And again, with definitions, we'd have to research in a, like, you know, in a dictionary to get to look them up and learn them he'd be able, like my cousin, be able to fill them in in about an hour and be able to get through them and learn them. It'd take me days to find the words in a dictionary because anybody, any other dyslexic listeners here, a dictionary is a minefield. It's a, oh, wow. <laughs> um, an experienced character builder for sure. <laughs> and so how, how, like, why did it take up until 21 years of age? What sort of triggered you to? Yeah, I think, obviously being in that kind of grammar school environment, I never wanted to feel as though I was a lesser individual than anybody else. And I think there's a massive taboo around it, especially, you know, 10, 13 years, well, yeah, 13 years ago when I was back in school, um, it wasn't spoken about. It wasn't, there was no information around it really. And like I said, the environment was very high pressure that we was in that I just felt that there wasn't time to, to say that I just tried to figure out a way on how to to keep up and, and do it in mm. my own way and that was what I had to do and that's kind of where economines and the kind of story behind that comes from and where I thought you know what I'm going to take the plunge and do something about it but yeah I guess that was why I thought when I was at uni I thought you know what this is actually when I learned a little bit more about what dyslexia was and I thought yeah this is very clear this is what I have and then when I realized and kind of looked at the superpower and the strength that dyslexia gives you I thought every single one of my kind of abilities and my character traits that I get a lot of compliments on is all because of my kind of I'd say my dyslexic traits and I thought well it's actually not this is the thing that's made me thrive in in everything that I've done so I shouldn't be thinking that this is something that is a detriment to myself. So I went, got it checked out, and yeah, turns out that I am dyslexic. So yeah, and, and it's your superpower because yeah. I mean, let's even—I'm not even assuming everybody knows what dyslexia means. Um, because there was a point in time where I didn't know what it means, and f- for some people, like just out of ignorance, might think, "Oh, people that have it are just a bit dumb <laughs> or a bit stupid." So, like, w- w- what is it, and how does how did it affect your your everyday life, or what sort sort of the traits that you mentioned that yeah. come from it? So, in terms of what dyslexia is, I, I, off the top of my head, I couldn't give you what the dictionary definition is. But for me, what my experience of dyslexia is is that it's something that is evident in the way that my brain operates is is different. Um, and I would say that in terms of kind of the little, I'd say the things that hinder me or the way that it hinders me is that the way when I'm reading something, um, words can kind of move around the page. It's quite a, a strange phenomenon to trying to explain to somebody who 
who doesn't have dyslexia, like what that feeling actually is. I guess the best way to think about it is if you've just poked yourself in the eye and you try to open your eyes and read something, that's probably the best way to explain how it kind of feels or close kind of, you know, something you can resemble to. But yeah, I'd say that with my spelling and with my writing, and I think this was my most frustrating thing is that I'd feel like, I feel like I could articulate myself quite well when it come to speaking to people. I'd love communicating, engaging um, via speech with lots of people. And like in class, I'd always answer questions. And But then when it come to an exam, what I had in my head wasn't what was actually been written out on a paper. So I'd be kind of answering a question in English or history or biology. And then, you know, in class, I would have been answering that question. We'd go to write it down. And then I'd look at my mark compared to my peers who had no idea in the class what was going on. And they'd be getting higher marks than me. I'd be thinking this is strange. Like, I just don't get it. Like, I was the one that gave the class the whole answer and I've got the bottom grade in the, out of everybody. Like, it doesn't make sense. So I guess that was where the, I get, that's where my frustrations lie. But I guess when you move into the real world, those things become less detrimental because, yeah, you might have to be sending emails and things like that, but you've got spell check and you've got loads of other tools that you can use to help you kind of mitigate making any mistakes but in terms of the the superpower of dyslexia and, and all the positive traits it can give you that plays out in real life more than anything can possibly kind of do and like I said I think that has has propelled me forward above you know everybody in in that sense because I'd say my ability to laterally think and problem solve is is different to other people like my brain if I see a problem automatically starts to think of a solution I think that's why I've been an entrepreneur from a young age because I've always thought about right there's this problem how can I solve it that was the first question that always comes into my head how can we solve this and then I guess my resilience and my determination again comes from that because I think I get quite I don't know I get stuck to it to, to finding a solution and if I can't if one way doesn't work I'm like right where's the next way where's the next way where's the next way and I won't stop until I actually find what that solution is so I think in terms of that ability is the ability you need to thrive in any industry any job you know so I, I'd say that that superpower is is phenomenal and I think another one is the ability to communicate and kind of empathize with individuals that you're talking to so I'd say that is again a life skill that no matter where you are what you're doing if you can't communicate with one another if you can't create a, an inviting and friendly atmosphere to share a conversation then I think you're you're at a detriment there so no matter how smart you are what other skills you have if you don't have that skill then yeah you're behind wow that's uh, and I can see like you're living proof <laughs> that your superpowers are working um and, and I love the fact you mentioned like from you've been an entrepreneur from young and I know that we have some similarities because um uh, from young I've been running events and um I don't think I've ever mentioned this but you had one business I'll tell you about right <coughs> sorry <coughs> So I used to, so I grew up basically using eBay a lot. So like my family, we sold a lot of things on eBay. I bought a lot of things of eBay and I'm not ashamed to say it. I think Amazon now is obviously the go-to, but back in the day, you know, when Amazon wasn't yeah. as massive as it was, mm -hmm. like eBay was the, yeah. the go-to source. And I remember, um, so there was a, I think it was a wedding, like there was an event and I helped my auntie um, go to it and we're basically fitting on chair covers and mm. adding little like decorations and centerpieces to the tables and, 
I was just helping out. Then I started to realize, wait, there could be, there's a lot of money in like sort of this decorating yeah. things. And like, there's a lot of weddings and parties pre COVID, obviously everybody's like, there's, there's always a party or wedding or for something, <laughs> whether it's a 50th birthday, a 40th, a, a kid's birthday. So what I did, I started to check the prices of these chair covers, right? And I went online and I was thinking, how much does a chair cover cost? Because um, th- those these were like just essentials. Because obviously, when you go to a f- like one of those functions, they give you those re- you know the red banqueting chairs. Yeah, yeah. Nobody, nobody wants <laughs> <Yeah>. to. <laughs> nobody wants to leave them with like the gold thing, so you yeah, cover them up, matching the carpet. Nah. exactly <laughs> so i must have searched the price and i think i saw like a hundred chair covers for like 200 pound right so we're talking about two pound per chair cover and i think delivery was quite expensive because it was heavy but let's just say like no more than like two 230 pound and i was like hold on a minute like how much do they rent these out because when i was fitting them on we got them from like a, they, they were rented basically mm. obviously we didn't own them so i was thinking if i can rent this out and if I can buy it, sorry, and rent it out, how much money can I make? I promise you, like, when that idea, because I, I sort of clicked with what you said, you see a problem, then your brain works as a solution. Mm-hmm. Straight away, I promise you, I bought. I think I bought, like, 250 chair covers, right? Put them on eBay, 99p a pop, like, a chair. <laughs> and I started selling these chair covers or renting them, should I say, like, crazy. I think in the first, like, my first two jobs, I made the money back from the chair covers because I start like, they're, they're £1 each. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. And obviously, you have to sort out delivery and, like, you have to clean them and wash them. So when you factor that in, maybe, yeah, after two or three, then that was, like, my not my first because I, I, I was a very busy child <laughs> with a clothing <laughs> brand and whatnot. But that was one of a lucrative... T- to business that I've done and for you I know that you've worked in sort of the banqueting the halls event stuff before so like what were you doing yeah no 100% so my family um runs banqueting halls that's why I had a big smile on my face when when you just said that because 100% I remember like when I was you know my uncle was telling me he was setting up you know a big party I think it was like 500 600 guests and he was putting the chair covers on and um, it's funny that you say that because I remember saying the same thing to him. Like, do, have we rented these or do like do we own them? And he was like, no, no, like these are just rented and et cetera, et cetera. And he was like, yeah, there's actually a lot of money. And he said the same thing to me. I do remember him saying like, you know what, if you used to get into just doing these, supplying them all around in like kind of the West Midlands to, you know, those the, the Indian, the Pakistani, you know, the Bangladeshi um big wedding parties you just make a killing it literally is (laughs) (laughs) so yeah for sure um it's 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 funny is because yeah how old were you when that happened because I was around about you know 14 I think I I was like I was I was in secondary school so yeah I was around 15 I was probably around 15 16 and we're we're dropping free game here like (laughs) (laughs) we moved on to other things but I I mean it it could be still sort of lucrative as you know post-pandemic things start to open up um but yeah I mean there was I mean that was just chair cuffs after that like I dabbled into so many different like 
decor stuff that some of it don't like didn't work as well but you just got to try and I think that's the sort of entrepreneurial spirit yeah. and like for yourself so if you were doing that at what 14 years old so I'm, I'm sort of getting the, the the trail of how you've got to where you are today because I don't think nobody wakes up one day and just be like I'm gonna start a company <laughs> it must come from somewhere so like was there anything after that so you're 14 you're in grammar school <laughs> you're studying you're helping out with the family business mm-hmm. um you go to sixth form again you're studying then you go to university and um I, th- I don't think we mentioned it fully so you studied economics with international trade yep so yeah that's what I studied so we did a levels at I did economics at a level and then absolutely loved the subject and that was when all these random jobs that I was just picking out of thin air I just was like, yeah, that they ain't going to happen. And that's when I thought I want to study economics um, as a degree and I want to go into kind of finance and and that kind of things. But I always, again, had at the back of my mind that if I was to go into finance, I would end up doing something entrepreneurial or doing a job that had, an, a, you know, a large entrepreneurial spirit at its heart. Um, yeah. So, yeah, that was always kind of me. Everybody at school, you, you know, speak to all of them, they'd all say like, yeah, like she's gonna, she's gonna run a home business. She's business. gonna, she's gonna be the millionaire. Yep, yep. I've heard it. I've heard it before. And I, I could see it. I could see it. And we're on track. I hope those people place bets because <laughs> 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 I bet they'll cash out. But um, yeah, and congratulations, and you got a first class in in your degree. Yeah, um, so talk to me a bit about um what you did straight after university. So yeah, so as soon as I. Well, it's probably best to go backwards, actually, because I was very busy at university. It probably more comes from when I left school. So when I left school, when I was 18, um, you know, my older brothers, they were at uni and they were saying, you know, like, student loan isn't enough. So like, you're going to need to do something and graft in some kind of way to make some money. And I thought, you know, I don't want to stock shelves in Tesco's like that isn't what I want to do to make money and I was tutoring at school whilst I was doing my A-levels so like everybody used to come to me after class and was like I don't know what has just happened can you teach us and all my free periods I was essentially teaching and tutoring my whole class and there was about like 25 students I was like teaching and tutoring because I used to just pick up economics like that Um, which again I think comes from that kind of relatability always having an entrepreneurial mindset always kind of been head in the news I've always found that kind of thing super interesting so when I studied economics it was just like oh I've seen that in the news oh that's what that official name for that is oh that's what that is so you know economics came easy to me so I had a lot of experience tutoring economics at that point and then I thought yeah I'm going to tutor economics and again I, I there was a I looked at a, a problem and found a solution because Rand, where I live, couldn't find an economics tutor if you tried. There was nowhere that you could find one. And if you were, you was paying silly money for for this tutor, 60, 70 pound. And I thought, well, I think I know economics quite well. So I'm going to just start tutoring it. And that's what I did. And so instead of starting and, and doing a job like, you know, a retail job like most people do, I thought I'd start up my company economize little shameless plug there. <laughs> <God>. <laughs> but yeah so that's what I did and and like I said I always envisioned when I started this it wasn't like to to build this big company it was just 
I don't want to stock shelves in Tesco's, so I'll just do some tutoring on the side. It's flexible. I can make the same amount of money work in a couple of hours, so I'll just do that. So I came in the market with a really accessible price, used the, you know, the, the school name I went to, went back to that school and offered tutoring services in which students kind of took me up on my offer. Then I thought at the same time to build some more experience and, and that kind of thing. I'd worked at Explore Learning as well. Um, and again, that was tutoring students from the ages of three to 14. And again, that was like a great experience working with you know, students with dyslexia, autism, ADHD, again, just kind of was reinforcing that thing in the back of my mind, thinking you should probably get tested because this student is exactly like you. It's like looking in a mirror and you know what I mean? So, yeah, so picking up all that experience and then it was just referrals from, from you know, parents. I tutored one of their really young students and then it was, oh, actually my older daughter or my older son's doing this. Do you want to tutor them on the side? And then I left that job and then I went full time kind of doing that tutoring. So, yeah, that was kind of what I did at uni. And then at the same time was building like a corporate finance career because in my head it was just do economics I'm going to do that kind of corporate career I, in my mind I thought I was I was too young to start a proper business so that's why I thought like oh this will just do it on the side and I'm going to become you know uh, you know go into that corporate kind of line you know you watch Wolf of Wall Street and you think that's it I'm going to pick up the phones and that's it tomorrow I'm going to become a multi-millionaire because I know <laughs> what supply and demand is and um, <laughs> Then you soon wow. quickly realise that that isn't that isn't the way it pans it's, out. It's not that easy <laughs> at all. No, hey, that is absolutely phenomenal. And just to think, so you were at university. Was this in around first, second year? This was literally as soon as I started my first year that I was like, right, I'm going to do tutoring. So it was literally in the first, I was like, first month, first month or two. And then I was you didn't also waste no time. No, I was so also sorry. tutoring. I was tutoring on my course as well. So students that hadn't had an economics background. Um, because obviously economics at A level isn't mandatory to study at degree, it's just studying maths. Um, so yeah, students were coming up to me and asking me, like, wow, like you're actually blitzing ahead of things, can you help me out? And then I started like again, like tutoring them, helping them with their courseworks, and then yeah, just charging, 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 and then creating that kind of that business of tutoring and teaching students A level economics. Wow. And I feel like it will relate to so many people because tutoring is just one of those things I feel like majority of everyone has tried in some sort of capacity, whether they try to charge or not. Because even myself, I've had my phase of, you know, trying to tutor here and there or sign up to one of those um online sort of companies. And because you really think about it, wait, if you can just relay sort of or teach someone and, and they're paying you like, like, for example, you mentioned Tesco Tills, like, no offense to Tesco, I'm not sure how much they pay your workers, but let me let me just say £11 an hour, right? But tutoring, you could get probably like £20 an hour, 25 you know, if you're the upper tier. I think I I, I know I have a friend, um, but because he um, goes Cambridge, so he's got the name, I think he was earning around £50 an hour. And wow. I was just like, that is ridiculous. And um, for you, like, it's different when you actually build your own company because you didn't well you did work for other companies in the process but you've built a company that's here to last because you're still you know you're rocking it <laughs> right now so <laughs> we're gonna dive into that but um you also talked about sort of so you, at this point in time you're studying economics and international trade you started tutoring 
and you're sort of building your corporate career because mm-hmm. I saw that you've done some um, work with or experience with Amplify Trading mm-hmm. and um, for, for you that must have been in their early stages because now yeah, they do yeah, like yeah. massive work with investment banks, asset managers, hedge funds mm. um, so I feel like you were just on it from <laughs> young <laughs> you were you were just on it from young and it's so I mean it's so exciting to see so what was your process in terms of getting these sort of work experiences during university yeah so amplify trading it was like you know advertised to us on our course um and then I thought you know what like I want to get an experience of what it's like to be an investment banker because I think when you just you know say the the best example you watch Wolf of Wall Street and you think that's that's it I'm going to do that job and it's just glorified and it says just pick up the phone and call the way that investment banking and and just the banking and finance sector in general has kind of changed over the past 20 years is is a there's a massive difference there's been a, a huge shift in culture regulation and you can't do what you were doing then to make a quick buck um so yeah, I thought I don't actually know what investment banking is. I just know that it makes lots of money, so I want to do that job, and it's something to do with finance and, and economics. So I did that experience, and that was when I got my dose and got my reality check, and was like, I don't want to be a trader. Like that is not what I want to do. Like uh-huh. this isn't like because we had to do the simulation and and all of that, and I was just like, yeah, this isn't me. Like I couldn't sit here just looking at candlestick charts all day trying to like it's not for me I don't want to do that and that that's when I thought oh no like I had all my hopes and dreams sat on that thinking that's what I'm gonna do and then I was like oh that reality has been crushed very quickly so you know shout out to Amplify Trading for helping me open my eyes and realize that wasn't for me um but yeah I think for me I then like with the whole tutoring thing when I was tutoring um A-level economics as I was kind of morphing into when I said I was doing work with Explore Learning I was also doing a bit of work with another 11 plus tutoring agency so I was kind of doing a few different tutoring gigs here and there to pick up experience and pick up clients and it was at that 11 plus the other private 11 plus tutoring company um that the owner of that actually owned or was starting a hedge fund and then he put me in touch with um his investment lady and he was like you and her will get along really well um have an interview with her and see if because he asked me like are you interested in that and I said yeah of course so he put me in touch with I had an interview with her and yeah, me and her just got along like a house on fire. And that's when I kind of got introduced into like what hedge funds are and what the difference between what front office and back office is and what all the different roles within front and back office actually entailed. And then I did a kind of research analyst role with them in my first year. So I was tutoring at the same time, all the different places. And then I was um, doing the the internship as well. And then, I, then again, I, that's when I realised... I hate back office, but doing that job allowed me to realize all the different roles within front office because I thought it was just trading and then back office was compliance and research. And I thought, well, I don't want to do any of these. I hate all of them. Mm-hmm. So now my plans are, are, are stuffed. I don't really know what to do. But then it opened my mind up to, you know, all the other divisions and other things that, you know, could exist in there. And then that's when I heard about kind of asset management, wealth management, mergers and acquisitions. And I thought, 
okay, that that seems interesting. Um, so after that internship, I used that as a platform or like a uh, like a springboard essentially um, to go to my university and say to them, look, I've done this role. I've done this tutoring and the things that I like out of the tutoring, I'm sure that there's roles in finance that incorporate that in terms of kind of talking to clients, having like a client facing role and breaking down really complicated things into really simple terms to help individuals. There must be a kind of role in finance that does that. And then by, you know, my luck, she was like, yeah, it's actually there's something called wealth management or financial planning that is quite similar to that, actually. And she's like, there's a scheme for third years that we've just recently started. But because you've been so on it, like you've done all these jobs, you've you've done the Amplify trading stuff, and you've even been able to get yourself, you know, an internship as well, we'll put you on the scheme, we'll fast track you through. So I went on to that scheme. And that honestly, was when everything changed. And that was the game changer for me. I think that was the best decision and best thing I ever did at university forget the degree forget everything else that single experience (laughs) was the best thing I ever did at uni so yeah that's when I met my mentor and he's been absolutely crucial in in me and my development I'd say over the past kind of three to four years so I did all that other stuff when I was 18 moving into 19 and then yeah when I was 19 years old I met my mentor who's called Keith Hare and he works for a benchmark capital which is a subsidiary that's been bought by Schroders so they're backed by Schroders um 100% so yeah I met him and his company or what benchmark does is they are basically like a business in a box they provide for financial planners or financial advisors they provide support all along the way so they have their own network they've got their own technology they've got their own platform and then they offer they've got like an M&A arm to the business where they buy um, other financial planning businesses so smaller financial planning businesses Um, and yeah I went to this event I heard him speak and I thought like wow I'm so like touched like the, the role that I wanted to do exists a financial planner like that's what they do they look they speak to people, they learn about what their goals and ambitions are for their life. And then they tailor their money journey to ensure that they can get there. And I thought this is the perfect fit for me. Everything, all the different jobs and the trials and tribulations I've gone through, like there it is, that's what I wanted to do. And then we, you know, it was a mentoring kind of program and it was everybody's names were in a hat And they just had to kind of, they just picked out names of a hat and and assigned everybody to their mentor. And I was sitting there praying after I heard him speak, thinking, please, 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 like, I really want to be with him. And in my head, I thought, if I'm not with him, I'm going to go and I'm going to make it happen. I'm either going to stop with someone or I'm going to do it. Like, I'm going to, he's going to be my mentor. And by, again, you know, universe or whatever you want to call it, he was actually my mentor. I was picked out, you know, out of the hat and he was assigned as my mentor. Um, So, yeah, it was it was fantastic. And then I spoke to him. Um, and I, I, you know, I was really blown away. And I was like, I, I want to become a financial planner. And he was like, that's a very strange thing for a 19 year old to say, like, I've never met a 19 year old that's come up to me and said that they wanted to be a financial planner. And I was like, honestly, the things I've done before, like, this was the thing that I wanted to do, like, 
when I was speaking to the careers advisor, all the, the things I loved about a job and all the things I hated about a job, I listed them. And a financial planner is fitting the bill of everything I wanted to do in a job. And yeah, he was like, all right, then send me over your CV and, and we can see what we're, what, what we're working with. And he was like, you know, after, you know, a couple of years later, he told me this. He was like, I honestly expected you to come back to me with a CV that had like nothing on it. And he goes, I thought I was going to just coach you on how to write a CV and, you know, how to build a CV up. And he was like, when I looked at your CV, I thought it looked like a CV that a 30 year old did. And he goes, I didn't expect you to be 90. If you didn't tell me he was 19 from what your CV had on it, I wouldn't expect it. And he was like, yeah. Um, then he sent it out to five of the firms that he had bought. Um, and yeah, I got an interview back from all of them and I went through all of the interviews again with flying colours, I guess, and got five offers and I was like, wow. So I picked um, <laughs> picked the one that was um, the closest to my home and yeah, I honestly had one of the best experiences like that I could have asked for. In that time, I qualified with my general financial advice certificate, so my RO1 certificate as well. So I did an internship for three months, got my qualification, and I was just like raring to go. And he was like, wow, like you really do want to become like a financial planner. So yeah, it was, I thought I was set on my path. And then, yeah, then everything changed again. Everything changed. <laughs> that is a publishable story. <laughs> we can wrap that up right now and sell it to the media companies. <laughs> I let them know they heard it on Valuable Podcast first. Yes, um, yeah. <laughs> but no, I mean, there's so much in there and, you know, I never knew this and it makes so much sense. And I picked up some themes whilst you're talking. First one, if you don't ask, you don't get. You know, yep. you sort of, you are not the person to just, I uh, didn't work out or sort of just don't ask opportunities. And I feel like that is just evident throughout your whole story. The second one is the common one everyone says, and I'll keep on saying until people get your network is your network. Your network. So yes. it must have been from that lady that got you, I don't know, an internship with a hedge fund that got you experience for now Coventry. I mean, well, to you to get onto this program that got you now your mentor now your mentor's helping you and it's like wow it's just like I can see it just manifest in your whole sort of journey and I feel like even just sorry to cut in between it so like but was it a straight path towards you know where you are now or did you venture off into something yeah so I ventured off into other things so like it's so difficult to tell this story in a streamlined way without it getting confusing because I was doing so many different things all at once. Because like when I was in, whilst I was doing the the research and, um, you know, uh, internship, I was also writing a book for my business. Okay. Well, we haven't even touched that yet. <laughs> That's right. I, mean, like I tried to leave that part out. I tried to do it in like strands so people can follow it and then I can merge it all together and say, well, this was all happening at this time. That was all happening at this no, time. Yeah, but let's, let's talk about it now because I feel like this is a perfect entrance to talk about yeah. um, sort of your business and what exactly is it and how exactly did it sort of start and take off. Well, we already know that you started tutoring within the first months of university yeah um, so how did that sort of propel forward yeah so it was tutoring um and then what I realized was and again this kind of kicks back into that kind of the way I was at school that I realized that 
when I was tutoring, students were asking me for notes. And I was like, I don't have any notes. Like I looked up back at it and thought, what are my notes? I just used to have random scraggedy post-it notes that I'd just written random facts on or questions. That's what I ended up doing in class. I'd listen and absorb information. Like I said, because it wasn't a brand new concept to me because I'd been listening to the news and because my mind just was really focused on absorbing that information. When I was in class, I wouldn't have to take notes. I'd just write myself questions about the key stuff that I'd, I'd, I'd learned in the, in the class. And then when I'd come back out, everyone was asking me to teach them. So for me, I was reinforcing all my knowledge whilst teaching. And then what I was left with when I left my A-levels was scraggedy bits of post-it notes with facts and figures on there and loads of questions. And then A3 mind maps of economic diagrams and chains of analysis and essay plans. And I was like, this isn't this nobody else is going to understand what this means like I don't know what I don't know how to give my students notes because I never made them um and that's where the idea of making the book came from because I thought right I've already got I've got all these essay plans and I've got everything all over the place why don't I just try and compile it into one kind of thing and then again that's where I spotted a gap in the market I'd gone through countless number of mark schemes and examiner reports and the key thing that I found for A-level economics was the use of a diagram is basically your key to an A star. You That is the difference between, you know, a B grade and an A star, you using and how well you can use an economic diagram. Um, and yeah, I guess when I looked at all my notes, I thought I've literally got the key to an A star. So why don't I make a resource that is just specific to the diagrams and get a step-by-step tutorial on how to draw them? Because you will know some of them are quite complicated. They've got five, six different lines all over the place. So if you just see the end product and you don't know what's going on, it's quite difficult to replicate that diagram. So a step-by-step tutorial on how to actually draw it. And then an an A-star example of how to actually use that in an essay. So what exam technique do you need to use to to get an A-star if you was talking about that specific diagram or using it in your essays? And that's what I ended up compiling. So out of the idea of, oh, I need to try and find notes for my students, actually created a resource that was a gap in the market. I wasn't replicating what everybody else had done because then I thought I'll be smart. I just signpost them to getting free notes online. And then I will create this resource, which adds all the value, which is what is going to make money. Because if you was to create notes and try and sell them, you don't make any money off that. You make a couple of quid. You're making a completely unique resource that is the key to getting a top grade and everybody wants to try and get those top grades the easiest way possible. If you can provide that vehicle for them to do so, they're going to be tapped in. And that's what I realized. So whilst I was tutoring, that's kind of what happened. I thought, right, I need to write. I'm trying to create this resource. And then it ended up being this kind of diagram guidebook. And it was an, it sold out. It went like hotcakes. Like it was, it was incredible. Like I didn't expect Sorry, I was just going to quickly ask, so how did you how did you market it? Did you sell it directly to the students? Did you give it to schools? Like, where do you where do they go to buy it? Yeah. So what I did was, I again, I took a big gamble. I think I'm a I'm a big I'm a I'm a risk taker. I am. And I think when you're an entrepreneur, you need to be you can't think of everything that goes wrong. You need to think of everything that can go right create a bulletproof plan around it so don't just completely ignore things that could go wrong but don't keep them at the top of your mind create a bulletproof plan and make it happen um so 
I realized quickly that schools don't have that much money to buy books. When I was talking to them and trying to kind of feel out that market, I thought, right, it's not them. It's the students who are going to want to buy this book directly. So what I did was I went back to my old school first. Like I said, it's got a very, very big and great reputation. One of the best schools in the country, actually, it was a school I went to. And I went back to them and I said, is it OK if I kind of, you know, I've created a resource? Is it OK if I talk about my journey so far um, through university? What what uni is actually like studying economics? Is it OK if I come back and do a little talk for you guys? Happy to do that for free. And they jumped at it. They were like, yeah, of course, like as much insight as our students can get. We want to we want to give them. And obviously, when I told them we did a hedge fund and all of that kind of stuff, they were like, yeah, like come back. Great, great, great. And obviously, I was I was quite a well-known student at school as well because of, um, you know, not being the, the most well-behaved student at school. Um so, yeah, everybody was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, this is a great kind of success story to spin back to the students. So I came back. I kind of just talked to them about what economics is like and gave them that kind of insight, provided them that value. And then I showed them my book and I said, guys, how's how's economics going, by the way? What's your kind of biggest um, struggles? What are you struggling with the most? Every single student said diagrams. I don't know what my diagrams are. I can't remember them. I don't know how to use them. I don't know what's the point of the diagram. And then I, I came in with the winning golden Willy Wonka ticket and I said, here is the solution to all of your problems. Um, so, yeah. And then so writing that book was like incredible. So I sold books at my old school and then word got round because the grammar school kind of in the West Midlands are quite close knit. There's not that many of them. Um, so word gets round and, you know, you start to see your friend doing well in another school. What are they using? What are they doing? And like I said, it just kind of went around like wildfire. So I went around to other schools and said, literally use the same approach. Can I provide this session for your students? Get lots of value. I got testimonials from my teachers and just replicated that and just went to there and just sold the books out. So I took that risk, print, pre-printed all the books. So our big book, big box of like 400 books turned up at my house. And I thought, right, I need to sell these now. And then went round and, and did it. So it was it was a bit like a door to door sale, like a, a market kind of sale, just one to one. And yeah, I just sold them. I think if I was to do it again, I would have done it in a lot smarter and a, a less risky way. But I think the way you learn is by doing. So, yeah, I just absolutely um... <laughs> like you literally got out there, <laughs> toured all those schools and got your book inside homes. And I feel like I respect it so much. And I feel like that's just what you need to do. So that's to me sounds like it was your MVP, your minimal viable product or what yep. you use to test that, you know, economics there is demand for this and obviously you managed to bring out the supply so after that happened like when did you turn when did you think okay there's more to this how can I turn this into a business something that can be registered something that can generate revenue and have mm. sustainability going forward yeah so at the same time of, of doing that so when I was when I launched my just launched my book and I think it was like after my first you know the first sales in the schools I applied to do a placement at the at the Department for Education. Um, and when I got into the Department for Education, I went in and did my interview. I like the interview process for government role is is very grueling, to be honest with you. I didn't expect it to be so difficult. Um, but it's like you have to do a competency based uh, like interview. You have to do like a maths test just straight on the spot. And then you have to do 
Um, the best way to explain it, if anyone's done A-level economics or if you've done economics as a degree, they just give you like a statement or like an essay question and they just say discuss. So you basically have to write like, we basically have to talk out a 25 mark essay off the top of your head. So you have to present your four points, your against points, you have to go into really detailed um, chains of analysis, present examples, evaluation, all on the spot. You can't, they don't tell you what the questions are beforehand. You don't know what topic they're going to bring up. They're just going to ask you any economic question and you just have to answer it on the spot, which I was like, whoa, I was quite overwhelmed. I didn't realise that it would be like that. Um, and like the example question that they give beforehand was super like easy. I thought, yeah, that'll be fine. And then they asked me like some really complicated question about like, the education system I was thinking I don't know like I just had to take a minute and I thought right like you literally tutor so get your mind into what you tell your students and then I just kind of compose myself answer the questions obviously went for my skills based like competency-based questions and then there was a bit at the end where there were just kind of just like a gen just general interview questions and I was like speaking to them and I'll never forget this question they asked me and they were like so where has your passion for, for like education come from? Like, why should we pick you over somebody else? And then that's when I, I had my book in my bag. So I thought like, I'm going to, if this comes in the right chance, I'm going to kind of pull this out and see what I can do with it. So I pulled out my book and I put it on the table and I said, tell me any other student at the age of 19 that's come into this room, that's got their own revision guide and has already sold copies of it. And they just looked at me and they were just looking at each other like, what and I was just like yeah I've not come to to mess around like this is me like <laughs> and then when I saw how like elated they were and then like they kind of they were like right kind of like off the record we did a level economics kind of like are we can we have a look through and they were like this is absolutely fantastic this is phenomenal and then that's when I thought this isn't something that's kind of small like there's a big gap in this market every single person I've spoke to about economics always says that there was no resources they'd had to just kind of wing it and, and do it all themselves and that's when I thought like yeah like this isn't just a small time side thing to do whilst I'm at uni like this actually has potential to become something massive like there's a massive gap in this market that I can plug with different types of resources that people are missing the trick on essentially and it was in that interview when I saw them look at each other I thought I definitely have the job I've never felt so confident in an interview <laughs> in my life I thought yeah I've definitely got the job and it was there it was the look on their face and I thought government economic you know economists in the government like government officials looking at this working with the department for education saying that this thing this needs to be rolled out across schools across the country was when it clicked to me that I've actually done something pretty fantastic here I've there was actually a huge gap in this market that I've actually been able to plug and that is when I kind of felt the gravitas of what I could do and what could come off of it so that's when I really started to push. And that's when I kind of stopped all the, those other kind of jobs and really started to push and build up my tutoring base. And I landed a school. So a school was actually going to pay me um, to tutor their students because they were behind. So they knew they were behind the curriculum. So out of their pocket, because they had a lot of pupil premium money, they were going to pay me. Obviously, I, I was going to take a super discounted rate for the students. But obviously, because I was taking 30 students at once, I was like, I'm happy to take that super discounted rate on my, yeah. on my fee to tutor 30 at once. Um, and I landed that. And I remember it was all just 
oh, it was buzzing. And I was like, fantastic. And then the pandemic hit and I lost all my students because all the exams were cancelled. And I was like, oh, no. Oh, I thought I was onto something big. Like I was built up, built up, built up, thinking I'm going to become the queen of Sheba. And then it all got, <laughs> the rug got pulled beneath my feet. The, it literally <laughs> fell <laughs> flat. Yeah. And I was like, oh, wow, I've gone from hero to zero overnight. Honestly, I didn't know what to do with myself because I thought, oh, like I've geared my brain now thinking this is going to become the next big thing. And then I lost every pupil. And I thought, oh, no. I don't know what to do. And obviously there's that massive uncertainty. No one knew when anything was going to come back open. No one knew when exams were going to come. And I thought, what do I do now? I I don't know what to do. And I went to my mentor and he said to me, look, why are you looking at it with that lens? You need to bring your optimism back. And I was like, you know, you're right, actually. And he was like, remember, you said to me that you wanted to be a millionaire. Well, if you want to become a millionaire, you need to be able to make money in your sleep use your business to find a way to do it. Then what emerged and exploded out of COVID was EdTech. EdTech was the way, the vehicle to allow me to make money in my sleep. If people are buying courses off me, I'm no longer having to sit in front of them and tutor them. So I'm not trading my time for money. I can now create a platform. And that's what I did. So that's what came out of it. I had this money in my business and I thought, what do I do with it? Do I take a risk or do I play it safe, take this money out, put it in some investments for the future? And I thought, I'm too young to do that. So I'm going to take all that money out of it and I'm going to jump two feet in to making an app. And that's what I did through COVID, having no technical coding experience, no background in project management of tech. I just thought, right, I'm going to jump into building the platform because I knew I was onto something. I said, this can't be it. Like, this has just shown me that doing one-to-one tutoring face-to-face isn't the right model because this has just wiped everything out. Going by hand and selling a book isn't the one because when all the – you can say, yeah, put it on Amazon, but when all your delivery drivers can't do this and everything shuts down, the world shuts down, then how about logistical issues? How do you get the print company and how – how can I make this completely sufficient that it's doesn't need to rely on anybody and it can just run in the background and 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 take off and that's where I thought I need to digitalize everything I'm doing all my tutoring needs to become online I'm not offering physical products anymore everything is going to become a, a, a digital project a, a, a digital product and that is where the economize platform was born from so everything that all the trials and tribulations all the experience, all the exposure that I had up until that point was leading to that moment for me to fall flat on my face to say, now use your brain and actually think about where the future's going. Don't try and make a quick book now. How can you make money in the future? And then that was, that was what I decided to do and then jumped all in about a year ago and then launched the platform about six, seven months ago. So, yeah, like we haven't turned back now and our entire proposition, all of our products, everything has moved to a completely digital space now. And we don't offer anything in that kind of respect of like physical products. And we do do face to face um, events and things, but almost everything is it can be done hybrid or we have an online or we do it, just run it online. online. Yeah. 
Wow, that is again another story that you heard it first <laughs> on a valuable podcast. Um, no, I, I'm just sort of like I'm in marvel because it's like you're living case study of like how the pandemic literally is kind of like you went through it, but you came out stronger. Your business was tested, brought to its knees, but <laughs> you literally like a superman, like just came flying back out stronger and it shows you i feel like and it doesn't even need to be the pandemic it just needs to be something that shows you that okay this business model is not the best because like you just said if it was the best there's no way you should have lost all your students i'm sure like sure. your money flow would income would have just halted does that make sense so mm-hmm. you found a way to okay how can i make this sustainable and i love the fact you said ed tech because honestly whilst you're talking i was just thinking as a you know, econ student um, in university and studying econ at A-level. A-level econ, I promise you, you're so right. There was no, I mean, the only resources I had was the past papers, that physics um, physics and maths tutor. Yep, and yep. there was one other platform that I found out two months before my exam. And, it, oh, what's the name? It started with you, like, Upland. Exactly. Yeah. Upload. Now that was the first ever platform I used. And the reason why, and I promise you in that two months I had like the, I banged out as in that platform and me, I can, I saw it more than my teacher. And the reason why I loved it because it was the first ever thing I saw in terms of ed tech. Like they were showing me like videos to do with how I think AI learning, they were doing active recall. They, they were doing so much learning and i was like wow they must be making bank and the thing is i didn't actually pay for it because i was a pupil premium student well in sixth form they call it something else like 16 to 19 bursary student yeah. whatever. Mm-hmm. so i had a free um free um access to it so it's sort of like just using it unlimited but um yeah like that ed tech space is is really really massive and you've went on to now literally like you said you launched your platform six or seven months ago um not only that you've been able to pitch you know successfully win five thousand pounds uh so talk to me about that now because it talks about sort of your model but when it comes to entrepreneurship and the business side of things like how do you actually now raise funds to to scale this yeah, definitely. So like I said, the money that was already in the business, I invested all of that to get our MVP to market. So that has built the platform as it is now. It's paid for all the development work. It's done any marketing. Every single thing you can think of that you have to pay for has come out of that budget. And that budget was not infinite and it wasn't huge. Um, I definitely underestimated how expensive creating an ed tech platform could be. Um so yeah I was tested there and that was where I was like right I have to look at what are my priorities what do I want to get out there and then what things can come later and so that's how I prioritized it first so I looked at so if anybody that's starting a business or anyone that's looking to get into you know creating digital products or things like that there's some things that you think oh I want to do this and I want to do that and I want it to do these all these crazy features but you need to rein it in because that's what I'd realised. I had all these crazy ideas, exactly what my platform to do. I was asking people for quotes. They were coming back with a quarter of a million pounds, 300,000 pounds. I was thinking little 21-year-old me does not have that money. So I need to prioritise. I need to think, how can I make this in the most simplest form? And then once we start to get traction, then we can start to build the kind of bits that go around it. So that's kind of step one that I did was, right, what can I do to, sh- to streamline what my offering is 
and kind of go for the what's the bare minimum basics that I can do. So we got that built. And then, like I said, took it to, to market. I was only anticipating about, because we launched it in October time last year. And I thought, right, like I'm only going to get like 100 students on this platform max. Like I think that would be like a good target. Like, if we can get 100, that would be great. And I was like pushing it on TikTok and the first day we launched, we had 500 students on the first day and it crashed our server. And I was like, oh my God, like, what are we going to do now? And that's when I found out the, the, the fund that Santander do. And I thought, I need to pitch. I need to get money quickly that we can pay for a new server because that is expensive and I need the money. So we pitched um, like what, what we've done so far, what we plan to do, what we plan to do with the money. And that's always super important when you go for a grant is what do you plan to do with that money? Because most people will enter a grant saying, we'd love to use that 10,000 pounds, that 5,000 pounds. And it's really going to make us the next new business. But they don't actually break down the cost. Like, so, okay, you're going to ask me for 5,000 pounds. What is 5,000 pounds going to be spent on and then what is the impact that that five thousand pounds going to have on the rest of your business so that's like super super important to be able to articulate when you're doing you know any type of grant or funding kind of work even if you're going to private investors if you can't display to them where you're going to spend their money and how it's going to give them their return they're not going to give you the money so yeah we pitched that and then yeah we there was like i think 35 people and yeah, we, we, we won that money. We came first in that competition. So we won £5,000. And yeah, that enabled us to kind of pay for a bigger server, touch up any bugs, kind of relaunch back to the masses. And yeah, since then, we've, we've captured 20% of the A-level economics market completely organically. So to be able to show what that grant was able to do and actually to deliver on what we said we were going to do is, yeah, it's a great, great experience. And it's really good to be affiliated with people like Santander and they've got that huge corporate finance background and they can see, you know, they give out business loans all the time. They can see if someone's going to squander money or if they're actually going to do well with it. So it was really, it was really kind of a big boost and pushing confidence for them to say and, you know, give us that money and say, yeah, we trust you you're going to prove, you know, good on that money and, and do well on it. And I guess we have. So, yeah. Oh, wow. And congratulations, by the way. Yeah, <laughs> you, the way you say it, so like, oh, I just done this and we done that. Well, yeah, we've got one 35. But, you know, honestly, because I'm sure like you can't be sort of a one bandwagon sort of person. So like, was that a point where you had to get people to help you or build a team? How did that come about? No, I just wrote these grants. And like I said, this was, again, where dyslexia could act against me, but I, I didn't let it do that. So I wrote this grant out and it was a bit waffly. And like I said, I can think something, I can articulate, and I can talk it. But when it's down on paper, it's not exactly what I'm thinking. So, you know, again, hats off to, to my friends. A shout out to Lucy Gilbert, Manisha Kumar, and Lewis Good here for this. They really did help me here. So I was writing these applications out, everything I wanted. Then I'd sit on a call with them and say, I don't know what I've written here. And I don't know what that is actually saying, but this is what I want it to say. And then I say, cool, we get what you're trying to say. 
let's see if we can tweak it let's move this around let's make what you're saying more concise and actually hit the points that you wanted it to hit so shout out to them they really really helped me and then yeah we submitted and 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 we we got through and then again with like the FEA innovator award same thing like just once you've got one good kind of framework structure there's similar questions that they ask you like some of they will have all different ones on there but two or three questions will always be the same like who are you what's the problem you're solving how, what's your solution how are you going to spend the money those questions are always the same on every grant application so we really fine-tuned those when we submitted that Santander application that we was able to kind of use it universally now and I use that as like a template whenever I'm applying for any kind of competitions or grants because I guess it's a proven framework it's winning and do, being successful every time so it's it's, keep using it recycle it i mean and and this is what i love doing this podcast because i'm trying to get the value out right now so like even someone who's listening and they're thinking they have this business and because you know nowadays you see there's actually a lot of sort of grant sort of schemes or funding but many people just don't have success so what are they lacking is it the pitch deck that you use is it sort of the colors is it or is it what you said what are you going to do with the money so if you were to sort of boil it down into two or three main things that made you successful what would it be so just to put it out there when you apply to a grant you don't have to submit a pitch deck so it's normally like an application form so it's just got like a text field that you just have to write text into or upload like a word document so just an fyi there so you don't need to worry about that kind of stuff but if you're going for like any type of grant money um, or competitions the three things that you need to make sure that you're doing is make sure that you know your why and your how so if you don't know what that is for your business and you can't tell me in 20 seconds then you're not going to get the money number one number two you need to be able to quantify your impact that you've already made and the impact that you intend to make with the money that you get so there's no point saying we're going to use this money to change lives. That is so vague. What does that actually mean? You need to say, right, this £5,000 is going to allow us to provide tutoring to 15 students, which is directly going to impact their studies, which is going to enable them to do whatever it is that you want them to. So that's just an example. So giving that specific quantity and that measure allows them to realise this money is having this specific impact. If they don't know what impact their money is going to have, they're not going to give it to you. And then obviously third of all, is again, it's that breakdown of where the money is actually going. So if it's £5,000, is all £5,000 going to just one thing? That again could seem risky because a company could think if that one thing goes wrong, that's £5,000 wasted. So if that's £5,000 going to be split between, you know, £3,000 for one thing, that obviously is going to show what your main priority is. And then, you know, £1,000 here and 500 and 500 they can start to see, oh, right. So you're going to diversify the spend of that money. You're going to spread the risk over three or four different areas. You're more likely to have success in, you know, in one area that, you know, one out of five areas and you are and just putting all your eggs in one basket and going for one thing. So spreading and de-risking your investment is also extremely important. So I'd say those are your top three. Know your how and why, quantify your impact and really break down your cost and diversify your risk. So don't just forget a hundred grand, spend a hundred grand on one thing or giving it to employ one person or doing it's just it's super risky if that doesn't work out like i've just shown you so many times in my story how so many things just don't work out out. what are you gonna do you're sat there with nothing to show for this money that you've been given so yeah 
Wow. So you said that you're, so you're super sort of like you're a high risk taker, but you're an intelligent high risk taker, right? That <laughs> comes just... with time. I can't say that I was always either. Like I said, when I started with my books, a sensible person would have done print on demand. But like, again, that was five years ago. Print on demand wasn't that massive, especially when it comes to like printed books, print on demand t-shirts and things was but actual books yeah. wasn't and it wasn't accessible either so I had to just take that risk and, and use my student loan and all my money that I was making my tutoring to put down a kind of a big hefty amount of money and if that went wrong I would have just lost all that money because if no one bought a book I would have sat there I would have been sat there with 500 copies of a textbook that nobody wanted that I either have to pay to store or just chuck away and then I've just spent all that money on nobody wanting to buy it so yeah if I was if I was to do it all again, okay. I probably, yeah, I would, like I said, spread that risk over or use different services that you don't have to pay up front. And, and if it doesn't work out, you're kind of screwed. You, you just got <laughs> off on this, this stock or you can't shift. So, yeah. yeah. And, and so I think a, a, a key thing I'd always say, like my mentor always said to me was, when you're young, you need to make as many decisions as you possibly can make in your life. Because the more decisions you make, the better you get at making a decision. Because that's all that life is. The difference between successful people and unsuccessful people is the quality of the decisions that they're making. So the more decisions you make, the better you, you, the better you come at making them because you're getting more practice at them. So he's always like, look at what you've done. Look at right. Where did you go wrong? Okay, now use that to keep going forward and keep on trying to make decisions. Keep on trying to make calls, small decisions. Don't just sit on big ideas. Make it happen. Put it into practice and just keep making decisions every day, rolling with the idea and rolling it out to whatever it's going to be. And the more you do it, the better you get at it. And I guess it's living proof. Like I said, I made very stupid mistakes at the start that I wouldn't do now, but I'd never know. If I started at 23... I would have made the same mistake then. And would it be more costly in this, you know, arena of ed tech? Absolutely. I would have literally squandered my business before I started it if I was to just start there. So that's why I always say that kind of when I said inverted commas, I thought I was too young to start a business. You're never too young to start a business. You need to make, you need to make all the mistakes when you're younger because they're going to be the, the less riskier ones because you don't have a hundred thousand pounds to spend when you're 10 years old. You probably have 30 quid. So make yeah. the mistakes when you're making 30 quid. So when you're up 30 grand, you're not making the same mistakes. It's not going to be as costly. So, yeah, that, I'd always say that. Absolutely. And even we spoke about you don't want to make it in this environment because, <laughs> I mean, if you want to make, you know, many streams of income as well as well as keep on saving. But, um, no, I mean, it seems to me like you just learned so much. And that's just from, like you said, going out there doing things you need to do things you need to make decisions um you need to learn you had a mentor and like it, it just again it shocks me to think that all of this you were doing whilst you were either doing a full-time degree or sort of in full-time work because you're, you're speaking like a ceo full-time entrepreneur right <laughs> you're speaking to me it sounds like everything you're doing like you wake up and this is all you do but it's not all you do so you must have some excellent um, time management or excellent discipline in life there's something that's underlying that we can probably take away from just your life and your journey so what would you say that is that you've able to strike this balance um I would say that 
I have made a massive sacrifice because I'm not going to sit here and make any lies. Everybody that knows me knows I work a lot. Like I put in a lot of time. I put in a lot of hours. Like I started my business when I was 18. I'm 23 now. You know, we've launched a platform, won a national award, whatever. That's five years of relentless work. Every single day I've worked on my business. And whether that would be tutoring a pupil, getting that more exposure, learning more about what it is that I want to offer, listening to podcasts, going to events, networking, mentoring, whatever it is, I've every single day worked on the business. I've done so, anything I've done in my real life. I always sit back and spend at least an hour every day and think, how can I work on the business from what I've learned from today? And I think that has helped me. And I think I'm still trying to find a, a balance between looking after myself and working and having time for hobbies because you know I love music I love playing instruments I you know I, I love cooking I love going out I love doing a lot of things but in the past five years I've definitely parked a lot of things to the side and made a big sacrifice so I don't know if I am actually the best person to talk about balancing um loads of things well not even well balancing work and life I guess I I'm good at balancing lots of work things at once but balancing work and life you know remembering to eat and to sleep like you know because today I'm just (laughs) all I've eaten today is a banana and I've drank about five liters of water like that's it that's what I've been Uh using to get me in and that's not something I want to glorify and let and tell people you're not working hard enough if you're eating and you're looking after yourself like I want to become somebody who can take healthy breaks from work and who can have good amounts of sleep and who can do that so I guess maybe I'm on I want to ask you how how have you managed to do it because you haven't been sitting on your hands at uni you've also been going through the motions you've been doing a whole load of stuff you've landed a top graduate job at one of the most grueling universities in in the country starting a podcast building your personal brand so how have you managed that actually I'll flip it on you (laughs) no I mean you know what the the honest truth I don't even want to sound like I'm literally copying you is literally sacrifice because I I asked you to get a different answer from myself or what 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 is it that she does is it her sleep schedule but I don't have one (laughs) (laughs) honestly for me to do everything I've done and if you're listening you're probably thinking the same thing it's just a lot that I've sacrificed. That's so you would okay. Let me give you an example. Like I think I mentioned this before, but like I feel like I've sacrificed a lot of my social life, right? Um, I have a lot of friends who are just more accessible. They're just more accessible. They're sociable. Whereas some people, you know, you know, my friends sometimes make some jokes like, "Oh, uh, no, he's probably busy," or "Don't invite him. Uh, he won't go out," or something like this. Uh, um, he, you know, Victor, I call him. He sees me, it rings, but he don't pick up. You know, some of that might be true, but <laughs> the point is that a lot of things that I've been able to do, I feel like it's because I've sacrificed so many other things, right? Um, including, uh, yeah. So one of them is just being accessible right having because i i can't because every day I, I plan like crazy on my google calendar so it's like i know when i'm gonna be eating most of the times so i know when i have this time and you just you just think like we live in a life like I, I just don't factor in that you know my friend's gonna call me i don't factor that in i don't have a google calendar like you know <laughs> shay call me at 5 p.m unless we unless we actually schedule that in right you don't you don't factor in stuff like i'm, I'm in my house like i said i'm back at home 
um, if if something goes wrong or like let's say the plumbing works, repair works, oh no, I don't factor that in. So it's sort of like there's so many things in life, the way I sort of plan my days and around my life, it's sort of like, it's just sort of work, 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 work. But if something happens where that work is disjointed, you know, I won't really complain because I'm expecting sort of that, although I don't factor it in. But what that basically means is that I sacrifice, you know, just a lot of time elsewhere. And I think that it just boils down to that. There's so much time. No, no, sorry. There's, there's 24 hours in a day. There's only so much time you have to do everything. Mm-hmm. And for me, I feel like sacrifice and prioritization. What is most important to you as of, today that's how i operate not even like an as of today what's most important to me is i jump on this zencaster and record this podcast right (laughs) that's at the back of my mind that's the most important thing right tomorrow i might be different so um going back to your point before i run off on a tangent like um for me how do i do everything i think i i basically planned out look at my life like and we go back to this P word. What's your purpose? What is my purpose in life? I try to answer it every day. Am I happy doing what I'm doing? Is there a final goal or objective out there? And I think about, okay, what are the tasks or the goals? We can now put goals that I can sort of hit, achieve, that will be closer to the overarching goal. Then I track it back and say, okay, what's the most important thing I need to be doing today? Mm. And I feel like that is just my system of operation oh, that really, and, that's, really, that's really cool I just I want to just jump in before I forget the question have you ever had a moment where your purpose has changed and it's really derailed because you thought you was really set on a purpose and then you just woke up and thought after evaluating it's not that that's a great question um <coughs> sorry so I think partly yes there has been a point so when I was younger, um, so let's going back to the secondary school times when we talked about, you know, the chair cover business, COVID business and all of these things. So I thought my, like, as vague as it sounds, but I thought my purpose in life is just sort of to be a financier. So make money to finance a lot of big stuff. So um, when I was young, in fact, I still do, but I wanted to create a, a charity called the SOS Foundation. So my name is Sasanya and I, I built some personal brand like SOS SOS, right? Mm. People used to call me. So I basically wanted to build that charity but I knew that I need to make money so my goal is to be an entrepreneur my purpose in life was to make money to to finance stuff so that was when I was 15 16 when I started to grow older you know life wasn't so linear anymore right I started to um, understand and think from different like interactions I had that wow you know my purpose is kind of changing because whilst I was aiming for that like so for the original one whilst I was aiming to make money etc I was doing loads of different ambitious things I noticed that people were sort of honoring me or they were like saying oh Victor's doing this or congratulating me and they started to ask questions and they were curious and so many people wanted to know what their purpose was so many people wanted to get out the rut that they were in so it started to change I started to be like wow okay let me speak to this person so I started to do a lot of motivational stuff so I started mm-hmm. to host events. I started to do one-to-one calls. I started to do coaching. I started to mentor people. Oh, you want to do what I'm doing? Okay, what's your life like? What do you have any ambitions? Do you have any goals? Um, how do you speak? Do you know how to network? Do you know how to communicate properly? So it's like the purpose started to change. I think, wait, wait, God, and you know, I'm I'm a Christian, so I believe we're created for a purpose. I started to ask God and say wait, so God, so what? Am I meant to help these people over here? Am I meant to communicate? Is this my purpose now? Then you grow a bit older. Then it's like, 
it's always been around sort of communication for me it's always been around communication to the masses um to basically help people you know uh what's the word to help people basically discover what it is they need to do and i felt like it came in a in a range of different communication pieces and this is actually one of the reasons why i started the podcast so my purpose is not to create a podcast the podcast is assisting the overarching purpose but to your point my purpose has changed mm-hmm. and there was a time <coughs> where i thought i wanted to be a motivational speaker so that was the main thing and i and i just like you like when i get something in my mind i have to act on it asap so the first time i thought i want to be a motivational speaker i went out there um, and i basically tried to i emailed my old school they didn't even reply to me. So I went out there, tried to get my first speaking gig. I remember I, I was in a group chat. I was sending messages and I got through to one lady and one lady finally took me on board. I'm, I'm really paraphrasing here just because of time. But um, yeah, she invited me to a school and I'd done my first school assembly. And it was ecstatic. When I was speaking, like everyone was just locked in on me. It's like I had the stage and you have to like, I watched so many videos on YouTube. So I had to move around, I had to work the room, make gestures. I made a presentation and I was up all night, all night the previous night making the presentation I was going to use. And after that was great. Then, then I deeped it after the second one, like, whoa, is this what I want to keep on doing like time after time? And I was thinking, I don't know. I don't, mm. I don't think, I don't think so. Cause I was at uni and I was, when push comes to shove, like when you're degree, when you're, when you're, <laughs> I'm so sorry, but when you're getting some of your grades back, you're really thinking, wait, do you want to be a, I, I don't know, like if they were, if they want, because I've done this for free. And mm. sometimes I got an email about another school, but it's like, you have to try to travel from Coventry down, spend train money, and I'm going to buy food, taking time out, like missing a seminar. And it really questions you, like, what is your purpose? Because I'm still at university. Um, so why am I studying economics? Is this going to tie into it? So it's like, I think it's a massive question in life. That's why I call it the P word. You can't just use it aimlessly. <laughs> but um, yes, I always go back to just, so for me, it's always about pleasing God. And what I always ask God, what am I meant to be doing? And I, I take it day by day. But mm. I definitely think, and you just see it from results, like your book sold out, so there was a need for the book. When I do the podcast and I speak and I do all of these different engagements, so many people benefit, so many people are impacted, so many people are like, wow, so I know there's something here. And I know that people who are listening now, something's going to change and click in their lives. Whether that's that business advice they needed to get the grant, whether that's to relate to your story, whether that's just a kick, you know, to say, think about your goals and your career, something's going to happen, right? So um, long, long answer to get back to your question. <laughs> My purpose has up and changed. I've been derailed, but I still think that as I do what I do every single day, it's leading to that overarching sort yeah. of purpose. When it's all no, I love that. Done. I think it's exactly like, I think we're exactly the same in that respect that if we've got something in our head, we just have to keep going until we do it. And then once we've done it, then we can assess whether that was the right thing or the wrong thing. But even if it's the wrong thing, we're going to now find the right thing because that's just the way that our brain works and just find a solution. I think when you're constantly just looking for that solution, then you're never, I think you're, you're always going to be in a better position that you was in yeah. yesterday. No, I, I, so. I absolutely agree. And I, I always say it like, it's just consistent. Like something's, you know, when you, when, okay, when you know that you have some sort of skill. So if you act on your plan, something's got to give. 
Like yeah. it, just with time. And what's so phenomenal to me is that you said you spent five years since you first started your business and look at where you are now, right? I always start to think like, and sometimes you fall into comparison on the podcast because I, I love doing this because I get to talk to so many amazing people and just enjoy myself. Look at look how the ta- one hour, 25 minutes. Wow. wow. Okay. I, I <laughs> the time is flight. I think this is the longest ever podcast recording <laughs> I've done. That is crazy. But to my point, I was going to say that I only started this podcast in January this year. So it's like, we've just, it's been six months basically. And I'm just excited to see if I was to continue this, where would, where would it end up? Would I have a mm-hmm. show? Would it be in the metaverse? Would, would I have an event? Um, you know, I'm dropping a bit of hints to what might come in the future, but <laughs> does, does that make sense? And I feel yeah. like, again, it'll just be another sort of pillar or post or mark about, okay, this is still leading towards, you know, the overarching purpose, but yeah. No, I I completely agree with you. Like you said, it's just, it's literally a probability in a numbers game. If you just keep doing something, something positive is going to happen. Like just by probability, like (laughs) you don't even have to be like a wizard. If you just do good, something good every day towards whatever you want to do, it's something is going to get you closer there. Like no matter if it's in, one day or five years or 10 years it will happen you just need to be resilient and I think that kind of that that kind of blinkers on like everybody else needs to zone out I just need to do what I need to do do. getting it done yeah wow we're actually very similar than I than I thought we were (laughs) yeah same like when I did research it's funny that when I learned about you when you were doing your motivational stuff and you were doing your kind of one-to-one coaching calls and that kind of thing. That's when you popped onto my radar. I can't, I think it was, I think you it was interacting with V and that's when I saw you and I thought, oh, let me just have a look at this profile. It was a couple of years ago. And yeah, I was like, interesting. Like, <laughs> I find that really interesting. And that's what I can't, I did take a bit of inspiration from yourself, to be honest, like wow. about around kind of personal branding. Cause I thought, wow, like I, I really like that you've literally just made a website about yourself and you do coaching yeah. like, I find that really interesting I'd never and seen that, it before that and was actually cool. through the pandemic you know I, it's so crazy because when the pandemic hit whereas you know for you you probably went for a meltdown of your books I was jumping with joy because my exams got cancelled yeah. I was thinking what should I do in my time and that is literally in the pandemic I remember everybody didn't know what to do and just again my mind clicked I actually the first thing I done I actually hosted something called 2020 vision so it was like a was like a seven day conference on zoom and the reason why it was so significant is because i used zoom way before the pandemic so like i knew what zoom was mm. a lot of people never heard of the term zoom until the pandemic so whereas hosting meetings i used to be on like doing a bunch of different other events on this platform so i hosted like a it, was, it weren't meant to be seven days it was meant to be like a five day i, I, I got online at 7 a.m and um shout out to the people who are listening who was on the 2020 vision calls but we used to basically every single day so this pandemic so i know no one's doing nothing so mm. 7 a.m you wake up you get on a call and we'll just literally i think there was 15 of us on the first call we'll literally talk about oh so like what's your 2020 vision because that's what it's called so it's sort of like you had a 2020 vision but march comes three months in first quarter you know everything hits the fan right Mm -hmm. (laughs) and we basically like if you're on the call for example we all try to be all talking to be like oh what can you do next and Mm. we discuss who you are day two 40 people day three 60 day four 70 day five because i remember the last day because i and i used to bring on when it was growing, I brought on guests to like mm-hmm. speak. I had a hundred people 
at 7 a.m. As in like ready, as in camera. Wow. Some wow. some people started off in their, uh, what's it called? A snood? Snood or hoodie? Yeah, no. yeah, yeah. That, yeah, like, that, that, that like, thing. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> day five, I saw people up with their notepads, like all sit up and stuff like that. And from that, it, it just spiraled onto so many different things. So yeah, I, I made a... I, I just planned it in my head personal brand photo shoot suits I bought like five different suits outfit changes booked two hours got all the photo done then I need a website designer got that done let's book up coaching calls and xyz then I started to do free calls because it was just everything just happened at the same time for me and it was just like was like you said when there's a demand for something it's just like my brain wasn't thinking where this will go it was just like just go yeah, just, just keep going. I want to do it. Yeah. Just keep going. And obviously, I, and I actually start. I actually done personal brand training. I don't know if you know. So I actually done, I used to do courses. So I actually done, but it's kind of like you. It wasn't, it wasn't ed tech. It was, I was actually on Zoom for two whole hours. I'll actually coach people through how to build a personal brand from scratch. So I'll talk about all the different things that you don't see. So not about the colors and stuff. I'll talk about, okay, before you build a personal brand, what's your story? You know, Mm -hmm. what's your why? Why should people listening to you? What value do you bring to the world? You know, and that's how Mm -hmm. how I define personal branding. So value and valuable has always been sort of at the forefront of what I Mm -hmm. do to provide value in whatever capacity hence why we've got the podcast now up and running you know next year I might have a restaurant opening who knows (laughs) (laughs) but value would be the forefront and um yeah so crazy journey but that's we're here now (laughs) yeah no it's actually super interesting I mean just to drop a little nugget of information I am going to be creating a, a podcast as well and I'm asking you live on air. I'd love to have you on as a guest. Wow. <laughs> so um, we recently just moved into our new premises, like literally on Friday. And yeah, I'd love to kind of, I'd love to have you, I'd love to have you down and I'd love to, Let's to, do it. Get you on Let's podcast. do it. <laughs> Live so on air. So I can't, story, I can't yeah. even back out of this one. <laughs> Smart. You see, you need to use your brain like Alicia. Don't ask. You don't get. <laughs> yeah, no, let's do it. Honestly, I'm so happy. And I think, you know, with podcasting, it's such a growing thing. And there's no, like, I would love to come on your podcast. If you're listening and you want me to get on your podcast, hit me up, message me, man. If I have the time capacity, I'll definitely um, and be there if it's a great fit. But listen, this has been so lovely, but we do have to wrap it up before I turn this into a movie. Um, <laughs> what, what The last thing I'm just going to ask is sort of like, Alicia, like, so you're 23 founder CEO of Economines um you're currently working in the in fact we haven't we, we skipped it but you're currently working in the job that you envisioned when you were 19 years old or for the company should I say with your mentor um Keith in the company you know what are you looking forward to in 2022 I'm looking forward to bringing a platform that is personalized and creates relatable content for Gen Z students we're releasing a whole brand new platform in September and you will not get relatable and personalized content like this for A-level economics anywhere else. So we're uplearn on steroids. <laughs> amazing, amazing. You heard Alicia. Thank you so much for joining me on the Valuable Podcast. Where can they find you, follow you and support you? So you can follow me on TikTok and Instagram at Economines. And you can follow me or message me on 
LinkedIn if you have any other queries or questions or if you just want to connect at Alicia Masson. I'll also drop <laughs> the social media handles in the show notes or the descriptions or link or wherever you're listening to this on. Uh, thank you, Alicia, for coming on the Valuable Podcast. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you so much for listening. If you like this episode, make sure to give it a five star rating and leave a review. Alternatively, you can send us a DM on Instagram at Valuable Podcast and sign up to our newsletter at ValuablePodcast.com. Remember, increase the value you provide and you'll rise in due time.